This is the word of God, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower in bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God, of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. <laughs> Thanks, Hayden. Well, look, whether you have a lot of money or a little money, chances are you're stressed about it. I mean, we see the economy and the inflation's up, prices are going up, poverty is up. I mean, you know, you're maybe trying to pay off college or you're trying to save up for your kid's college, don't have a lot of savings, a little bit of retirement. There's just all this uncertainty and insecurity about the economy. And not only is this impacting you uh, spiritually in a lot of ways, it's, it's probably preventing you from being as generous as you would like to be or, or the way that God would have you to be. Now, if you're a guest with us today, this is only serving to confirm all of your suspicions. See, I told you all they talk about is money at church. Well, I, I would encourage you, don't judge us just by one message or even by one series of messages because you need to understand. We've been going through the, the letter of 2 Corinthians that Paul wrote. And we get to this section in chapters 8 and 9, and that's what he's writing about. Uh, because finances are a big part of our lives. It's a big part of our faith. It's, God addresses it in many places throughout Scripture, and it's a major concern to Jesus. But listen, if you're a guest, you're off the hook today. We're really not talking to you about this stuff, so you can relax. Uh, we're not doing any kind of fundraising. We're not doing any kind of special offering or projects. Uh, this is just a big part of, of living for Christ. And so uh, I think you're still going to be interested whether you're a believer or not because I think everybody wants to be more generous. They just want to make sure that what they're giving to, the money actually gets there, that, you're, that it's actually making a difference and meeting needs, right? That it's not just going to line the pockets of some con man or, or some rich CEO. So maybe you wonder about what good your giving does through this church, because when you give to the Lord, you're giving through the church. And you need to know the church is the hope of the world. We offer people what nobody and no, nothing else can, and that's the message of salvation. It's the hope of eternal life. When you give, you're a part of people coming to faith in Christ, being baptized, being rescued from hell, going to heaven. You have a part in all that. You have a part in, in each week, lives being changed. Uh, marriages being helped, sometimes being saved because couples will be exposed to biblical teaching or to godly examples and uh, they'll, they'll see that God has 
direction for their marriage, how to make it better. And so instead of tearing apart their home, they'll decide to repair their home. And uh, they'll learn as moms and dads how to be better parents and to guide their kids in God's ways, right? When you give the hungrier fed, I mean, every week, dozens of families come to our Open Arms Food Pantry and receive free food. And now we have a new ministry starting. Some people got together and said, let's actually serve meals to people downriver. And so starting October 19th, we're having a new thing called Community Meals at South Point. You're a part of that. Lonely people find fellowship. They find encouragement uh, through, through groups. People get involved in these groups. We have kids and students and young adults find these positive friendships and caring leaders you know, that, that they don't find anywhere else out in the world as they get involved in our next-gen ministries. Doubters and skeptics find answers. Yes, suicidal people find hope. Broken people find encouragement and healing. And when you give, you're a part of all of that. When you give to the church, God uses your gifts to advance his kingdom both here and around the world, which is why Penny and I give all the time. We always have and always will, even after our death. You know, the church is in our will because we believe in the good that's being done here. So as we get into chapters 8 and 9 again, this is really the most focused teaching in the New Testament about generosity. You know, this, this is where Paul is dealing with some material needs. He says, look, there's some Christians back in Jerusalem that are in need, and you Christians over here on the Grecian Peninsula uh, in Europe, you've got the means to help them, and so I want to take a special collection to send to these believers over there, just kind of pool your resources as a relief fund. And he, he's encouraged them to be excellent givers, excel in giving, and he's talked about how, to, um, how they're going to manage these gifts, handle them with integrity and accountability. All right, that, that we talked about all those principles in the past couple of weeks, and if you missed any of them, you can watch them on our website or listen to the podcast. But today we're finishing this section by talking about um, not the how or, or the what, but more about the why. Or, you know, like, it's not really about the amount that you give, it's the attitude you give it with. That's what God is concerned with, the way you give. And that's why our big idea today is to give cheerfully to God's work because the attitude is even more important than the amount. You know, when you give, you're really just, it's an act of giving up something of value. Generosity is different. It's not just an act. It's an attitude of sacrificing something of value for the good of others. So look, you can give without being generous, but you can't be generous without giving, right? Because maybe you know somebody who's a sad giver. They give, but they don't really want to. They're just, they're, they're doing it reluctantly. They're doing it grudgingly. They're a sad giver. Some are mad givers. They're mad because they don't want to give, and they just feel like they're cornered into it. They're pressured. You know, there's there's this compulsion from other people to, so I'll give to make myself look good. They're mad. But God wants us to be glad givers who give cheerfully because of love, because we want to, right? Because we're blessed. And so we want to bless others. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go around helping people, healing people, delivering people, because he says in Matthew 10, freely you have received, so freely give. That's our motivation. We've received freely from God, so we want to give. That's grace giving. Grace 
is not something we earn or deserve. It, it's, it's something where we, we just want to give because we've, we've been given to. It's like that pay it forward thing. Yeah, isn't that it's so cool when you're maybe in the drive-thru and you order lunch and you get up to the window to pay and you find out the car ahead of you already paid for your lunch, right? And so it makes you want to pay it forward. It's a good feeling, isn't it? I, I literally just experienced this like two days ago, not at a restaurant, but I was at a gas station picking up a jug of a gallon of uh, windshield wiper fluid. So as I'm waiting in line, there's a guy in front of me who has his hands full of stuff, and he drops something on the ground. So I offer, said, would you like me to pick that up for you? And then I kind of pulled back because I said, well, I don't know if everybody wants me to touch their stuff. I'm COVID. Nobody wants you to touch their stuff anymore. So I didn't pick it up. He went ahead and reached out and picked it up. But he was so happy that I even offered. He said, man, we need more people in the world like you. And he fist bumped me. He says, how much is that? windshield wiper fluid cost. I went, eh, yeah, eh. He said, no, how much does it cost? I went, $2.99. Let me pay for that. And he like fist bumped me two more times about how, what a great guy I am. I, Dude, I didn't even pick it up for you. You know, he said, I know, but you know, there's just, we just need more of that. So I felt really, really good. I said, I'm going to pay it forward. So, you know, you might want to follow me around for a few days because <laughs> you never know. You might be the one I pay for your lunch one of these times. It really feels good. But we're talking about sharing something way bigger than lunch or wiper fluid or even finances, right? We share what God has given us, especially this message of salvation. We, get, we want to pass it on to others, right? I mean, others who came before you paid for you to be able to be here today, to have this facility and the staff and all the ministries that are going on. They didn't even know you. But they came and said, we're going to pay for it so that you can be here, your kids can be taught, the community can be reached, and now what are you doing to pay it forward, to, pay, to help people who aren't even here yet in the community, the next generation? That feels good to know that you're, you're meeting needs and making a difference. But some people still get upset when they're asked to give. I mean, they have, they have money, they have wealth, and they still get upset about giving. Meanwhile, others who don't have much and are in poverty, they're very happy to give. Because it's never about amount. It's about the kind of heart you have. That's the way those Macedonians were we read about. Paul says to the Corinthians, hey, remember the Macedonians down the road from you? They were begging for the privilege to be able to give, even though they're in poverty themselves. They wanted to give. And so that's what sacrifice is. It means, man, I'm going to give up something I love for something I love even more. And now that I'm a believer, I love God more than I love mammon and money. And I love people more than I love things. So yeah, I'm willing to give. And that's where I want to be. I'm still working on that. I'm, I'm not there yet. I want to be like those Macedonian generosity rock stars who said, come on, please let me give. It's a privilege to do that. I, I still got to get there. <laughs> Maybe you're with me on that because, man, we want to be able to do that. And we need to, we need to give. Not only for the benefit of others, but because of what it does in us. Giving, generosity, not just giving, but generosity, that attitude changes us, doesn't it? Because it, be, it makes us more like Jesus. It pries off the cold, icy fingers of scroogey stinginess, right? It breaks the chokehold of materialism. It slays the greed monster in us. Giving changes us. and it's, We don't give because 
God needs us to give. God doesn't need your money. I love quoting financial guru Dave Ramsey when he says, if God wants your money, he'll take it, strike you down, and leave a greasy spot where you were standing. Isn't that true? God doesn't need it. It's his already. The only thing you can ever really give to God is your heart. Because anything materially you give back to God, it's his already. He already owns it. But he doesn't own your heart, right? You've got to want to give that to him. So if he... If, if he's got your heart, then you're going to give cheerfully. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But you wonder, you know, I, I get this. We're like, if I give, though, is God going to meet my needs? I mean, I trust him with my eternal salvation, but I don't really trust him with my finances. Isn't that kind of odd? <laughs> our, our trust only goes so far with God, right, to the spiritual things. But Paul illustrates it with a farming metaphor that really applies to all areas of life. It's taught throughout Scripture. You know it. You reap what you sow. Right? So you sow a lot of seeds, you get a big harvest. You get a big crop. You sow a lot of wheat, you get a lot of wheat. You sow a lot of tomatoes, you get a lot of tomatoes. You sow few seeds and you get few crops. This works in every part of life. So when people ask, how much should I give? I don't know. I can't really answer that for you. They say, well, should I tithe off my net or off my gross? Like, that's not a question I can answer because that's an Old Testament thing. You know, when the Israelites were commanded to tithe. We're in the New Testament, this better covenant that Jesus brought. And so I can't give you an amount. I can't give you a percentage. All I can do is throw a question back at you and say, how much do you want to be blessed? You want to be blessed off your net or off your gross? You know, that's between you and God. In the Old Testament, it was taught this way as a proverb. It says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. But then Jesus comes along, and he always kind of ups the ante. He kind of elevates things. And he taught it like this in Luke 6, 38. Everybody say it, say it out loud together with me. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So, see, it's really about a blessing. You sow much, you get greater blessings. You sow little you get fewer blessings. Now, let's, let's, talk, let's talk dollar signs here. What are we talking about, really? What kind of blessing am I going to get? Is it material stuff? I mean, if I give to God, am I going to get rich? Because that's the message you're going to get out there sometimes from these proster- prosperity preacher dudes who you know, say, sow your seed of faith, which means send me money, and then God will give you money. Like, send me 100 bucks, and God will send you 200 bucks. That is not the way it works. That is not scriptural at all. I mean, really, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Was he wealthy? Look at Paul. Was Paul rich? Absolutely not. Worldly wealth is never promised to New Testament Christians, all right? God's riches aren't always material or physical or immediate. Remember the farming metaphor. The farmer plants the seed, then he has to wait, has to be patient for the harvest, and the harvest ain't here yet. So I think in one of the saddest passages in all of Scripture, you, you find this story of the rich young ruler who approaches Jesus, and he's a good dude. 
I mean, in a conversation, Jesus learns that this guy has kept the commandments since he was very young. And he says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? He's got it together, but Jesus must have known there was one thing holding him back. So he says, all right, if you want to follow me, you got to give away everything. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And in that moment, that rich young ruler had to decide what was really most important to him. What was the priority? Was it going to be Jesus or his wealth? And you know he chooses wealth. And he walks away from Jesus sad, tragic. Because you know the guy was thinking, well, if I follow Jesus, that's going to be a tremendous loss to me. Never realizing that he was passing up the best deal ever, the greatest deal of a lifetime, how much he would have actually gained had he done what Jesus said. Now that got to the disciples because they're wondering too, like, Lord, we, we have given up everything for you. What's in it for us? What are we going to get? And Jesus says, don't you worry about that. There's going to come a day in my kingdom when you will receive a hundred times as much as you has give, have, you've given up. But it's not here and it's not now. Because the harvest isn't here yet. You're going to have rewards. You're going to have riches one day. But not necessarily now. Because if that's all you're in it for, then you're just using God. You don't love God. You're using God. So if you are somebody who invests your money in stocks or in businesses, you do it for a monetary return, right? You expect to get money for that investment. But when we're investing in God's kingdom, it's not monetary. We're not looking for financial rewards. We're looking for spiritual dividends, right, for that kind of a payoff because we're investing in souls. We're investing in the Great Commission to make disciples. That's going to pay off in spiritual benefits. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. How? I don't know. He doesn't say. Could be financially, but more likely it's something spiritual. Could be relational. Could be, I don't know. Could be all kinds of things. But I don't necessarily want to discount material things when we give to God. For example, I talked about inflation's going up, the prices are going up. All right, so now how much seed should I sow? Because if, if everything's going up, but I keep my giving the same as it's been for the past 10 years, what's really the value of my investment? Is it, I, am I not, I'm really decreasing my gift as inflation goes up. So what do I do? What if my income goes up? Should I keep giving the same amount or should my gift go up? What if my income goes down? Should I decrease my giving at that point? Now, those are questions I can't answer for you. You've got to decide what's of real value and priority to you. I'll tell you one thing that God can do is if, you know, everything's going down in your life, he can still do something incredible. He can keep going, like your car. You thought you were going to have to get a new car. He can keep that old beat-up junker going for another year. And you, you, wow, it's almost miraculous. It's still going. Or that old washer and dryer. Maybe you're not going to have to replace it as soon as you thought. How do I know that? I look back to the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You remember that? They're walking in the dry desert for 40 years wearing the same stinking sandals. 40 years in the same sandals. How? God kept them going. God made those sandals last for 40 years. 
I don't know, he can do something like that for you too. But I believe God's gonna meet our needs when we do what Jesus said. Seek him first and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to us as well. When we put him first in our faith and he supplies our needs. And to illustrate that, I wanna tell you a story that I saved from last year. Somebody here, a member of our church, texted me, kind of a long text, as soon as, you know, pretty soon after the COVID lockdowns happened, the place where he was working went out of business permanently. And so he lost his job and he had all these clients and everything. So here's what he, he texted me. He said, I trust God completely and I knew he would always provide. At the same time, the stress was real. My bills are real. It was Saturday night and as usual, I couldn't sleep. I'm wide awake reading my Bible and I started thinking about what to give in the offering after church. Now, I've always just given 10% of my gross, so I never really have to think about it or pray about it. I just do it. And then I started thinking about the story of Jesus and his disciples watching the rich people put lots of money from their wealth into the offering compared to the poor widow who put in all she had to live on. And I got out my debit card, and I gave over eight times my normal tithe. As I went back to my reading, a South Point member private messaged me and he said he heard about the business where I worked closing and he wanted to bless me with a financial gift. And I've never really felt comfortable accepting gifts of any kind but he was persistent. And then he asked me how much money I had in the bank and I was embarrassed to tell him but I finally told him I had less than $100. Then he said Monday he's going to wire me $1,000 and he did. That afternoon, I was contacting my clients to let them know about their refunds. One who would be receiving a check for $4,350 told me, you need the money more than I do. So he's going to give me a full refund. He's going to give it back to me. I couldn't believe it. I trust God with $500, and within 12 hours, he blesses me with over $5,300. Now, I usually hate hearing prosperity messages about give and you'll get because that's not why we give. We give because of all God has already given us. But I felt I would share this story anyways because it really seemed to speak about the importance of trusting God with their finances and giving to the church regardless of what your bank account looks like. So there you go. But here's the thing. I'm not going to promise the same thing to you. I don't know how God will bless you if you give. We're not all the same. It's going to be different for everybody. So if you give and you don't get back a five, you know, $5,000, whatever, you know, 10 times what you gave, eight times, if you don't get back finances like that, don't get angry with God and don't resent others. Just be confident that God will reward you one day, that he will supply your needs. Jesus told about the rich fool in Luke 12. He says, this guy had a thriving business. He had lots of possessions, money in the bank, security for his retirement. In the midst of all that prosperity, he dies. Dies, leaves it all behind. And Jesus says in Luke 12, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is what? Not rich toward God. Are you rich toward God? I mean, we're not just talking about temporary stuff here. We're talking about the things that matter, that really last. Through Christ, 
atoning sacrifice and his victorious resurrection, he lifts us out of our spiritual poverty. He makes us children of the Father who will receive a glorious inheritance together with the saints. That's what we've got to look forward to. And Paul says, you've got to decide then in your heart what you want to give. You decide. That means you have to give it some thought. How do you do it from the heart? Well, I don't think it's impulsive. I don't think it's emotional. Because you've got to put thought into it. But it can't be just a, a logical, reasonable decision. Something that you calculate just on numbers alone. I think what he's talking about is you've got to evaluate what really matters. What is a priority in your life? Thinking beyond this physical, temporary realm into the eternal realm. I mean, you're beginning to see now with the eyes of faith. Seeing what matters to God. This, in this, what you're going to accomplish in this spiritual kingdom. Stuff that cannot be accounted for on a spreadsheet with just dollars and cents. Stuff way more important than that. So look, only God is really going to know the good that your giving is doing on a spiritual level. You might even be thinking, well, that all sounds good. But you know what? I already give. I give taxes, right? And taxes take care of people. Seriously? <laughs> well, first of all, I don't trust my money given to the government's going to really go to the places that it needs to go. Do you? But even so, when you pay your taxes, you're not giving anything. You're being forced. I don't think anybody's voluntarily given a bunch of money. You're being forced to give that money. Your heart's not in it. And the government, when they give their, your money to somebody else, they're not being charitable because it's not their money. It's yours. That would be like me holding you at gunpoint, taking your money and giving it to a poor person. That's not charity. Your heart wasn't in it. My heart wasn't in it. That, that's by force. I don't know about you, but I'm not cheerful when I pay my taxes. And I'm not cheerful when I pay my bills. But I got to do it if I want to have, you know, things like electricity and water and housing and insurance and a phone. I'm not cheerful about any of that stuff, but I'm, I can get cheerful when I know that my giving, because I want to give, is going to bless people, to help people, to, to see lives changed, to see people meet Jesus. That makes me happy. That's an internal motivation. That's not an external pressure. You should never give because somebody prods you or incentivizes you or bullies you or begs you to give. You should just want to give. I shouldn't have to try to pull your emotional heartstrings with the band play behind me while we take up an offering. That's manipulation. We're not, we don't play that game. You give because you want to. That's a divine compulsion to give. And God sees what you give. God sees what you do in secret, and He will reward you. You don't have to do it to do a big, big shot, a big display of giving. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in the early days of the church? God struck them down. Even though they just gave a big offering, they gave a lot of money, it wasn't about the amount, it was the heart they gave it with. They were doing it to be big shots, and they lied about the amount they gave. And it was a pretty shocking object lesson to strike them down because he wanted the early church to say, this is serious. Don't mess around with this. You've got to have a right heart. What kind of giver does God love? Let me ask you, what kind of giver does God love? A, yeah, I didn't, you didn't sound very cheerful at all. Frankly, I'm going to try it again. Smile a little bit this time. What kind of giver does God love? Cheerful. All right. 
This is a happy time. This is a happy place, man, because that's all the motivation we need. God loves a cheerful giver, so give cheerfully to God's work. And when we give like that, Paul says God's going to bless us abundantly so that we will abound in every good work, which tells me God doesn't always provide for you abundantly, right? Because it's grace. It's, a, it's an undeserved gift. And if he knows that what he gives to you is not going to be used in the way he wants, if you're going to squander it on selfish pursuits, he may refrain from blessing you abundantly. But if it's being used for his good works, then that grace will do what God intends. Just like everybody receives God's grace. You know that? Not just Christians, but the whole world receives his common grace. The sun shining on us, the rain, your physical health, your mental clarity, all those things come together to help you do work and make a living so that you can have stuff, which should make you a little bit humble and a little bit grateful that nobody is completely self-reliant and self-made. Every breath you breathe is a gift of common grace from God. You would have nothing if it weren't for Him. James says every good gift comes from above. So count your blessings. Count every one of your blessings. And I know some people have more than others and some have better health than others. But my goodness, you have so much that we take for granted. We have so much more than, than so much of the world, than all the people in history, pretty much. Than, certainly more than those who are dead. I mean, we're still alive. So count your blessings. We have sufficiency so that we can be a blessing to others. If I give to God, though, I'm still questioning, man, am I going to have enough? to take care of myself and my family. Yes, God will take care of you. Just like he uses you to meet the needs of others in their time of need, he may use fellow brothers and sisters to help you in your time of need too. And we're here to help you do that too. We love you. Whatever you're going through, we want to help you. We provide free financial counseling. We, provide, we got this care fund in times of emergency. We want to help you if you're, you have a genuine need. In the Old Testament, in the Psalms, Paul says, God uh, says, I, I distribute freely. I, I, I give to those in need. How? I do it through my people. Because you look around and you say, man, look at all the needs out there. Somebody ought to do something about this. God says, yeah, you. That's what I put you here for. You're my conduit. It, my gifts are supposed to flow through you to others. He, he expects a return on his investment. He blesses so that in turn you will bless and that's not just about money. Anything. When you learn truth from God's Word, you want to share that knowledge with others. If you have a home, you practice hospitality and open it up to others. If you have something you no longer need, you can gift it to others. If you have something you can lend, you lend it to somebody freely. Why? Because generosity is an attitude. It is a lifestyle. It's the Jesus lifestyle. Giving you seeds so that you will sow them and there will be a crop. And none of it is in vain. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9. In fact, everybody, let's say this out loud together too. He said, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And you'll be enriched in every way at every time. Why? So that you can do God's work, good works in every way at every time. And when you do those things, it's going to produce thanksgiving. I hope when somebody gives you a gift, that you can receive it graciously, because some of us are like, no, 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 I don't, I don't, no, you got to receive it graciously and be thankful. Call them up, text them, send them a thank you note. 
thank them. And others, when you give to them, they're going to be thankful. Hopefully they'll be thankful to you, but most of all, be thankful to God. Because generosity is really, I think, the one thing the world, the, the, the ungodly secular world still respects. Generosity impresses people. Makes them know that you're not just all talk. You're the real deal. And hopefully they will, their thoughts will turn to God. And they'll be grateful and they'll glorify God. We're not doing it to get credit for ourselves because we're such wonderful people. Look at us. We're doing it because God is a generous God. And he's given us so much grace that we want to extend that grace to others. That's why we, we bless brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we share the message with the world because we're just beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. So talk about this together as a family, would you? Talk, discuss about how generous we want to be. I think that'd be a good, good family time together. But thanks most of all for his inexpressible gift. Paul concludes by saying Jesus is the best gift of all because when he gave his life on the cross for us, he gave us forgiveness. He gave us peace with God. He gave us his spirit. He, he gave us rescue from hell. He gave us eternal life. He gave everything so that we could join in the inheritance as children, that we would have riches in the things that really matter and the things that will last forever. And if you're ready to receive those gifts today, I hope you will make the best decision of your life and put your trust in Jesus. He will take care of your needs. I don't know what it's going to cost you. You may have to give up stuff. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to promise you something I'm, other than what Jesus says, and you're going to have life. Everything else after that is bonus. It's like everything in this, all this, but heaven too. So if you'll turn to him today, repent of your sins. You can be baptized into Christ. Receive those gifts that God has for you. We're here to help you with that decision. Text us, email us, or if you're on site, come down to the front right here going to have some friends up here waiting for you. If you're online, you know, click the link, whatever. We want to we help you receive what God has for you today. Don't put this off any longer. Don't be like that rich young ruler and walk away today sad because you made the worst decision of your life. Make the best one, okay? If you've already made that decision, then maybe you need to go to our first step, which is coming up right after this service, where you're going to learn more about the Christian faith. You'll learn about South Point. More importantly, you'll learn what your next step is in following Jesus, so we're going to give you a free lunch. We've got free child care for kids under 10. Just go to the point out there by the main entrance and uh, tell them you want to stick around for first step today. And then next Sunday, we're continuing in 2 Corinthians, but we're turning a corner in a new series. There's a real big shift in tone because Paul now is going to get all riled up and, and, and feisty and, and salty with, with the because they're just being nasty to him. So he's going to He's going to come down on them a little bit and get a little bit sarcastic with them. And if you have the gift of sarcasm, you're going to appreciate this. We're calling it ridiculousness. All the criticism they had for him, all the false teachings. He says, well, I'm here to help strengthen your faith, to help you discern what God's will is. So you're going to want to be back for that. And I hope you'll invite others as well. Because, you know, people driving by, they're not just going to drop in. They need a personal invitation from you, all right? Let's stand together and let this song be our response.